chapter 5, verses 1 through 27. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 27. And the word of the Lord reads, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went out away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. <clears throat> Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, behold, I know that there is there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship here, worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared, his, spared this Naaman, the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. 
So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from, the, from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. So in 2008, there was a movie uh, released entitled Vantage Point. Uh, the tagline for Vantage Point was eight strangers, eight points of view, one truth. The story of Vantage Point covers the events leading up to a, a terroristic attack. There's a, uh, the, the scene is the President of the United States is in a foreign country and there's this plot to assassinate the president. So uh, what you cover in Vantage Point uh, is the viewpoint of each one of these eight people and their lives and a little bit of their backstory and how that influences what they're about to see and witness uh, in this terroristic uh, attack. So I, I remember being excited about this movie because I thought it would have been a great evangelism tool uh, my context would have been college students. And at the time, I, my, my aim would have been to show how uh, one event and the different eight views on that one event communicates one truth, not eight different truths, and how our society tends to look at um, your truth being uh, actually the truth. Your experience kind of dominates what, what you experience as truth. And so our text this morning reminds me a lot of this movie, Vantage Point. Similar to Vantage Point, we have at least eight characters this morning. Now, while the story doesn't replay the events over and over again from the vantage point of these eight characters, all eight do play a vital role in this story. And thinking about 2 Kings chapter 5, one of the things we must keep in mind is that the author is writing these events for Israel and for us to, re, to be reminded that God is their true king. So in telling this story, the author has intent, meaning, and purpose for the way the story is written. And so let's consider uh, this story of Naaman and his healing uh, this morning. One of the themes you'll find as we go through chapter 5 is, is that there's a lot of irony in this story. Uh, one of the things you, you find is that there are people and places in this story that are not what they seem to be. We find wisdom in places where we should not find wisdom. 
And we find faith in people and places where we should not find faith. We also conversely find unbelief in people and places where we should find faith. And so just to be clear, if we're comparing this to Vantage Point, the movie, the main event that everyone is witnessing is this healing of Naaman. And so as we cover the setting and the people in the story, what I want to draw our attention to are the ironies we find in the text and what that meant for Israel and what that means for us today. And so we start the story in Syria. We're introduced to uh, this man, Naaman. Naaman was a character of the uh, commander of the Syrian army. And it's, it's interesting, it's, it's as if the author, he, he just wants to give you a spoiler alert right off at the beginning of the story. He can't help but just communicate that it was by the Lord that Naaman was given victory over Israel. Again, this is intentional because remember, the book of Kings is beating the drum page after page of who is your God? Who is your king? Is it Baal? Is it those that capture you? No, it is the Lord, it is Yahweh. And so early on, the writer wants you to know who's behind this mighty man. And so three times we are told of Naaman's greatness. Naaman was great, he was high in favor, and mighty. And so what's interesting is the author seems to be building Naaman up, 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 and then he, he eclipses all of that by his leprosy. So he mentions his greatness, and it's as if Naaman falls off a cliff when he mentions he is a leper. And so those of you familiar with the Bible, no doubt, have come to know that this, this word leprosy and what it means. It was a term for several skin diseases found on a person's body. If you want to read more about leprosy, and if you're in the medical, medical field and just like being kind of grossed out by a lot of depicted things, you can go read Leviticus 13 and 14 as they address the laws and the ceremonial law regarding someone that had leprosy. Uh, but to give just a little context for what it is, uh, suffice it to say that leprosy was bad. Uh, boils on your skin, rashes, etc. Multiple skin diseases uh, happening all over your body all at once. You can imagine it, it makes it difficult for clothing and just stains and things on your clothes. It's just not anything anybody wanted. And also, uh, in, in Israel, we find that leprosy, and what we find also in the New Testament, is that leprosy represented uh, those that are unclean and also those that are casted out from society. Now, we have no information about Naaman and, and how uh, he was treated in Syria, but I would suffice it to say that he was probably not so much a social outcast, but it definitely affected his relationship in the public. And so while he was great as a military leader, he had this disease uh, that really marked him and, and probably put him in a negative light in the view of many. So, and also, as we're looking in Syria here, we find a young woman who is a slave. We're told that on one of Naaman's many successful military conquests that they kidnapped this girl from Israel. And again, what we find here is that in a country that believes in a plurality of gods, yet one is committed to the one true Lord. In this mighty man's house is found one that is not mighty. 
but one that knows a God who is mighty. This little girl, as the text describes her, shares her faith. She shares that if her master would just journey to Israel, there's one in Samaria that can heal. A prophet of God is in Israel. This little girl told her mighty masters of a God that would have mercy on Naaman and heal his leprosy. This is helpful for us this morning because what we find is that for this little girl, everywhere she went, she was going to let her little light shine. I can remember growing up in church in Mississippi and we would sing this song, Let Your Light Shine, 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 Let Your Light Shine. If I had someone in the B flat, I, I, I would tune up for you this morning. But there was, a, there was a line in that song that says, Jesus gave it to me. I'm going to let my little light shine. This little girl had the faith, the boldness, and get this, the compassion to know that the Lord will heal Naaman of his leprosy. She knew the Lord. She knew that the Lord was compassionate and would heal. The Lord gave her this light and she let it shine. And what's amazing in this story is that they actually believe what she says. She's a little girl. She's a slave. Why would they even believe what she's saying to them? Naaman was willing to take the chance of the advice of this little girl to seek healing from leprosy. They could have easily dismissed her. So this should be an encouragement to us that wherever we find ourselves in life, those of us who know the Lord can let our little light shine in our neighborhood, our, our schools, and even in our church, we need to be letting our light shine. Jesus gave you the light. Let it shine. God has placed you wherever you are on this earth to let his life shine forth. And don't wait until you have a position of high ranking before you let your light shine. Like this little girl, the power of God can be shown wherever you are. The faith of this little girl displays her obedience to Matthew 5, uh, verses 14 and 16. For it says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people, uh, nor do people put a, uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. She was obedient to that, but obviously at this point in time, that verse hadn't even been written. So what was she actually obedient to? She was obedient to Deuteronomy 4, uh, verses 6 through 7. And the retelling of the law, Moses encourages them uh, to keep them and to do them for that they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. When they hear all these statutes, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? To fulfill the promises of Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, uh, that the families of the earth would all be blessed. This girl is being obedient to the call of the Lord, and this is God sending her out as a missionary. A lot of us, we, we like to think the Great Commission was first mentioned in Matthew 28, 
what God does with this little girl is sending her to Syria was his faithfulness to his word from long ago. Sent by the Lord to shine forth his greatness in the house of Naaman. And so like this little girl, the Lord sends you. She, she, you think about this little girl, she was, before I mentioned she was kidnapped, but if we think about it in the providence of the Lord, she was sent. She was a slave that was sent, not taken, not kidnapped, but sent by the Lord. So again, as we, as we consider our, our story this morning, I, I thought the, 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 just the example of this little girl and her boldness should speak to us, for us to be bold in the places that the Lord has sent us. And so returning and, and working our way through this story here, we see that, that Naaman is willing to go to Israel to see if what this little girl said was true. And so at this point, we see the kings get involved. Uh, everything is political, and we find that the set, as the settings change, and once we get to Israel, we find, uh, we find fear where we should actually find faith. The king of Israel, who should know the same God as this little girl, reads the letter from the king of Syria and sees it as a threat. We have fear and anxiety creep in. There's no compassion, no dependence upon the Lord, only doubt. And this king is no doubt a, a symbol of the faithfulness, faithlessness that was found in Israel. And so we have faith in a godless Syria and a king in Israel with no faith at all. And so then we, we fast forward to Naaman and Elisha. So Naaman, in, in journeying to find the prophet of Israel, uh, we find that he was prepared. He was sent from letters with the king and money to pay his tribute to the king or the prophet or whomever needed their palms greased. Uh, he was ready to do whatever he needed to to get rid of his leprosy. And so if you do the math of the converting of the measurements of the weight to ours today, what you see is that Naaman took 750 pounds of silver and 146 pounds of gold. He also brought 10 changes of clothing. So Naaman was prepared. Being a military commander, he knew preparation. Naaman knew, he, he knew conquering. So for him, he was prepared to conquer this situation just like he had, he had conquered nations before. But, but what he would soon realize is that you can't conquer God. Naaman was about to be confronted with the fact that he cannot manipulate and plunder the Lord of Israel. So Naaman shows up to Elisha's house, and Elisha sends word to go down to the Jordan to wash seven times. Now, you may be wondering why Elisha would react to Naaman in this way. Uh, I have to admit, it does seem a bit disrespectful to not even come out and greet the person that, you, that you're going to heal. So perhaps, maybe observing Levitical laws, Elisha decided not to come out to one that was unclean. And as we think about the miracle from last week, perhaps Elisha was like, leprosy, that's nothing. I just raised a guy from the, a little boy from the dead. I don't even need to get out of my bed for this one. Just tell him to go down to the Jordan, wash seven times, and he'll be good. But no, no, that's not what Elisha is thinking. That's probably how I would think. 
But that's not how Elisha was thinking. Elisha here, the prophet of God, the extension of God to the people, is dealing with Naaman according to the way he deals with us. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Elisha was sending word to Naaman to say, You brought money, but God brings mercy. And telling Naaman that his healing would come by washing in the dirty Jordan, it's mercy, not merit. Mercy, not merit. Naaman thought that this was a pay-for-play scenario. He, he was prepared to sow a seed to meet a need. But Elisha's response to Naaman was that the God that that little girl told you about is not a God that can be bought. And would you be healed, you must come on his terms. So for Naaman to be healed, he would have to disrobe himself of all he knew and be washed. Naaman's money, his clothing, his Syrian purple hearts, none of that mattered to the Lord. It would take faith to be healed. And so Naaman, he wanted to participate in his healing. He wanted to be boast that he came and spent all this money and lavishly laid it out for the prophets for, for his own healing. This is helpful for us this morning as we consider our own sin sickness. Naaman here represents the sin sickness that we all have. And in order to have your sins forgiven, you must express faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not to man. We see this played out in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Throughout the Bible, God uses these unusual means of salvation to save his people. It's in Numbers 21, verse 8, uh, where Moses is instructed by the Lord to make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. This is strange. We don't, we don't heal people this way today. Like, what, what's the power in setting a serpent on a pole and lifting it up? Is there any power in that? No, the power is in the word of the Lord uh, for his instruction to you to do that. And it's your faith to look towards that servant, serpent and to be healed. Ultimately, it's Jesus, the son of a virgin, out of Nazareth, who refers to this same event in John 3, 14 and 15, when he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what God requires of us in salvation, he, he provides, namely, faith. So that our participation is faith in action. So when, it, when we live out our faith, it's often seen in actions that glorify God and not us. And so living out your faith is unimpressive. Naaman, he, he wasn't going to boast about bathing in a river seven times. He had probably bathed countless times, used every oil and ointment known to man, and still he found no healing. And so there's no magic, there's no power in bathing in the Jordan River. 
But Naaman's faith would be played out in doing the things that the Lord commanded him to do. So one of my favorite passages in John 6, we see this being played out. Uh, John 6, 20, 27 and 29, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I just, I just love that whole passage, just the simplicity of them asking, like, what do we do? And Jesus tells them, you believe, and how they're just met with, I mean, just the simplicity of faith, but yet also realizing we don't, we don't have that faith. Like, we need you to perform miracles and things to, for us to have faith. And so, again, as we consider this, this vantage point of Naaman, we see Elisha's Instructions are perceived as disrespectful. Naaman storms away in anger. And what's remarkable here is that the mercy of God runs after Naaman. We've sung it here countless times before. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. I want us to pay close attention to this because God's mercy to us, as it was to Naaman, uh, is a patient mercy. God is the God of second chances. Romans 2 verse uh, 4 tells us that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And so again, we see in this, uh, in this story, the great and mighty Naaman is subjected to the wisdom of those coming from his servants. Again, it's the mercy, grace, and kindness of God and the response to Na- of Naaman's servants Uh, servants that say to him, Master, maybe we need to reconsider. If he had asked you to do some hard thing, you would have done it. And I I can imagine them thinking like, we done loaded up 750 pounds of silver, close to 150 pounds of gold. We ain't leaving this place until you get this miracle. So if he told you to go into Jordan, you walk your behind down there to that Jordan, and you watch seven times. Now, they probably didn't say it like that because, you know, Naaman's a great man. He probably would have had them taken out. But that's what they were probably thinking. In Lamentations 3, uh, verses 22 through 23, it tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord uh, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, again, just it's amazing that Naaman responds in anger. And again, the mercy of the Lord runs after him in the response of his servants to give him like, let's 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 just pause. Let's not let's not be hasty here. Let's let's think about what's being set before you. If this prophet is right, you can be healed of leprosy. Do you is that what you want? That's why we came here. Right. And so, again, for us today, right now, is another day for us to humble ourselves and look upon Jesus for healing of our sin-sick souls. God's goodness to us is meant for our good, not for our harm, that we might reconsider, repent, and turn from our pride. 
Turn from our works. Turn, from, uh, turn to the one that had done, who has done all for us. And what we find is that by the grace and mercy of God, Naaman repented, turned from his pride, turned from his accolades, turned from his money, and went into the water to be baptized. And then 2 Kings 5 and 14, it says, And so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman came out a new man. His skin was like that of of a little child. Imagine the joy that Naaman had when that happened. The joy that when his faith was met with sight. Can you not see Naaman? The tears running down his face as he looks at his arms. He's looking at his legs, his face, his back. There's no more pain in and under his skin. All has been made new. The the, the tears of joy, the shouts of of laughter that would have come from his uh, restored body. So now we we see Naaman, a new man, showing himself uh, before the prophet Elisha. And this time, humbled and healed, Elisha comes out to see him. And what we find in this exchange between Naaman and Elisha is, is not only that Naaman was given new skin, Naaman was given a new heart. For he stands before Elisha and gives his statement of faith. Naaman declares that there is no God in the, uh, but the Lord in all the earth. And immediately what we find is that Naaman understands that while the Lord is the one and true God, people still worship false gods. So in verse 18, Naaman says, In this matter, may the Lord pardon your, your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Now, what I want to say uh, about this is that Naaman is, isn't asking to synchronize his worship of the Lord with worship with Rimmon. And Elisha, in his response, isn't condemning isn't condoning blended worship. Uh, What's encouraging here is to see that Naaman is seeking to be faithful in a faithless world. I think what what this reveals for us is that there are complexities in living out our faith. Why Why doesn't Elisha encourage Naaman to be bold and to stand firm and not to bow? Why doesn't he encourage uh, Naaman to have the faith of the little girl that lived in his house to boldly proclaim uh, the Lord, to, to follow the path set forth by Pastor Carter last week? I don't know. That felt good. I might have to keep, I'm gonna keep saying that. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that rolled off nicely. Um, we don't know why Elisha responded the way that he did, but again, uh, the idea is not that he's mixing worship. And we see that by the example of him asking for these two mules of earth. The, the, the assumption by many commentators was that he was going to take this earth or, or dirt and go back and essentially make an a altar that he would uh, worship and sacrifice 
uh, to the Lord Yahweh. And so, again, Naaman isn't trying to mix his worship. He's, he's seeking to understand uh, how to be faithful uh, in a godless nation. And so we transition here to, to Gehazi in scene two of mercy, not merit. And so, again, these, these, uh, these two men, Naaman and Gehazi, are both experiencing and witness this, witnessing this event of mercy, and there's two different responses to it. And so if I wasn't clear before, again, it's, uh, it's Naaman's healing that's the event, but more, more importantly, I think it's for us to, to realize that what God is doing in this story is, is revealing and laying out his path and, his, uh, and what salvation is like under the kingdom of God. It's mercy. It's not merit. When we, when we see Naaman's response, it's, it's one of initial anger and rage, and yet God's mercy ran him down, and Naaman repented and was healed. Now, uh, we want to re- examine the response of Gehazi to the same reality of the salvation of God. And so Gehazi, uh, he was a servant to Elisha. He was, he was in our sermon last week, so he would have known the boy that was dead and brought back to life. He had likely seen Elisha perform other miracles. And what we find here with Gehazi is that he, he just couldn't take it anymore. You see, Naaman uh, twice offered Elisha a gift, and he would not take it. And for Gehazi, this was just too much. Uh, Gehazi, he vowed by the Lord that he would get something from Naaman. In your Bibles, it may say that uh, it may describe this section as Gehazi's greed. And I don't doubt that greed was present. But I think if we examine the viewpoint of Gehazi this morning, we find that there were other factors at play uh, in his actions. Perhaps I fail to mention this, but keep in mind that Naaman being from Syria meant that they were enemies of Israel. The slave girl in Naaman's house came via plundering Israel. So I think for Gehazi, adding it all up, he felt like Naaman got off too easy. Naaman was an enemy of Syria, came demanding to see Elisha, was healed, and now we aren't even going to accept anything from him, not so much as a gift. For Gehazi, this, this was reparations for Syria for warring against us. This was recompense for his actions. So if Elisha won't take something, I will. I think in this way we find that Gehazi believes that Naaman got off easy. In verse 20 he says, according to the NIV, my master was too easy on Naaman, this uh, Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. What Gehazi failed to realize was that mercy is getting away. Mercy is getting off too easy. Mercy is not requiring any payment or punishment at all. The Lord's purpose and plan for Naaman was to be introduced to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what we find is that mercy is chief in the way that the Lord introduces himself. This is how the Lord introduced himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. The Lord passed before him 
and proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Nehemiah 9 and 17, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. This was the reason Jonah did not want to go down to Nineveh in the first. In Jonah uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it reads, But it displeased Jonah greatly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I had planned this morning to read every passage that refers to the Lord in this way, and I was like, I can't do that. But I I would encourage you, you have internet devices, just, just search you know, slow to anger and just see all the verses that come up and just just read them. Just read them one by one. What it did for me, I, I found myself in tears just reading. Mm. Yeah, just just reading how the Lord introduces himself. It's, it's almost as if he, you know, the Lord. Yeah, that's my name. But what I want you to know most is that I am slow to anger. I'm gracious, merciful. Like, it's just repeated over and over and over again. And this is the God that that he wanted to introduce to Naaman. And Gehazi, he thought that this was unfair. This was also the response we see of the Jews when Jesus refers to Naaman in Luke 4. Luke 4, 27 Jesus says, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When Jesus says this in the synagogue, the response of everyone in the synagogue was to throw Jesus off a cliff. Because he highlighted the fact that God would heal and save their enemies. And not only that, but that there was no faith to be found in Israel at that time. And likewise, Israel was proven to be faithless then. And so Gehazi, from his vantage point, saw that Naaman, he still saw Naaman as an enemy. You think about this. Gehazi, he, he wouldn't have sought to take anything from an Israelite. Wow. He saw Naaman as just another Syrian coming off to, to take the best of Israel. And now he considered that the grace of God had been taken advantage of. But again, Gehazi failed to remember that he was nothing special himself. God didn't owe his mercy and grace to Israel. It's in Deuteronomy 7 where it says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Gehazi, he was cheapening the grace of 
God given to Naaman by, te- by seeking to take some of his goods. And yet Gehazi is met with the same second chance that was met, uh, that was given to Naaman. After he takes these goods, he comes, comes back home and Elisha asks him, Gehazi, where have you been? I have no doubt that if Gehazi would have confessed to his actions, he would have been spared the leprosy that was placed on him and his offspring. But he lied and doubled down in his sin. And so Gehazi proves James 4 and 6, for it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Remember that we said that this story is filled with irony. In Naaman, we see an enemy become family, and we see in Gehazi, family acting like enemies. Gehazi was behaving like one who didn't know the Lord. And so what do we make of this story? Where do you find yourself in this story? What are we to believe from this passage? Again, when it comes to salvation, God extends his mercy, and he doesn't demand our merit. By God's grace, my prayer is that we will follow the path of Naaman. Humble yourself. Know that you cannot bring anything to God that will warrant God saving you. What God demands of you is faith. And the Bible tells us he gives that too. So perhaps you've been a follower of Christ for a while. We all need to be reminded that we all come the pathway of Naaman. We never outrun God's mercy and grace. He never owes us anything. So therefore, we don't demand merit from others when they come into the family of God. By grace you came, and it's by that same grace we live. And so as I close, I I would commend you to notice the amazing truth that is revealed in this story. Chapter 5 starts with Naaman, great, mighty, and highly favored, but a leper. And by the end of this story, we see Gehazi, who was favored by the great and mighty God, now become a leper. I think this is what we see in Romans 9 and 16, where it says, So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. What's interesting also, I think what we see in this passage is that the writer of 2 Kings 5, without pinning it explicitly on the paper, is contrasting this great and mighty Naaman against the great and mighty Lord. And what's interesting about that is the conquering Naaman, he comes to conquer and, and, and seek his healing, but yet he is met by the God who conquers. And so God conquers Naaman, but he doesn't do it in a way that does any violence to Naaman. And so if Naaman was sitting amongst us today, he would say, Amen. The Lord conquered me, and it was for my betterment. And so I commend to you this morning that you would, you would see the mercy of the Lord. You would see that you've had chance after chance after chance to turn and repent. It's God's mercy and kindness for you to turn and repent. Receive it. Don't be stiff-necked. Don't be angry. Whatever is holding you back from coming to the Lord, know that the Lord is great. And that like Naaman, you can be healed. You can be made new. 
all of your, your fears and anxieties can be placed upon Christ, and he would save you. Thanks be to God for his mercy that he gives us this morning. Let's pray.